0: You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. All right. Uh, hey, if you've got a Bible this morning, which I hope you do, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read just a few verses here, starting in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for the morning and the opportunity to be able to gather here and to read your word and to expound your word and to sing praises to you. Father, I pray that you would just help us as we unpack the text today, as we read through and see what you have for us in the text today. Help us, Father, to to recognize you as the sovereign king and to submit our lives to you. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray this. Amen. Well, We live in a culture that is growing colder and colder towards biblical truth. And and those who stand up for for things that are gospel-centered are being more and more alienated and marginalized. And I want you to understand that I, as as your pastor, am gravely concerned for our country. The country that we live in, I'm concerned for. I'm concerned for the moral fabric of our culture that we live in. And furthermore, I am even more concerned that most of the church is asleep at the switch. The church is asleep at the wheel. And, And when it comes to the reality of what is actually taking place in front of us. When we see what's going on, we're ignoring it or we're, we're, we're being um, silent, we're, we're, we're falling asleep and, and thinking about other things when we see this. And, and the reality is that we're watching a dumpster fire come untrained on the land in which we're in. There's a massive spiritual war that is taking place. It's raging around us and many are slumbering or ignoring the fact that we are at war. Many are asleep during this time of war. And furthermore, the thing that I'm even more concerned about is that we're not only are some of us asleep, but some of the people inside of the church and outside of the church as well are thumbing their nose at the God of the universe when it comes to the moral fabric of our country, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender, when it comes to everything and anything that comes to morality, we're thumbing our nose at the God of the universe. And as this accelerates in our culture, we are going to see more and more as this unfolds. I believe personally, from my understanding of God's word, that there will be an unbridled amount of wrath That will be poured out on our country because of our lack of understanding. And here's the thing. There is a supreme being that composed and designed the moral fabric and the moral law upon which we live. All of the laws of our country were founded upon or have their roots in God's law. So you think of every law that you can think of in our, in our land. All those laws can be dated back to and connect to the moral law that Christ laid down on the Mount of Sinai. And that law is the final rule of order. There is no higher law in our land than that of God's law. And furthermore, God designed and made human beings in his likeness. So God created not only the moral law that we have, but he also created human beings in his likeness. And he put them in and knit them together in their mother's wombs with just how they're supposed to be. God didn't make mistakes. God created you the way he created you for a reason. And what we're doing in essence is looking at the God of the universe and telling him that how he set up the moral law of our world and how he created the universe was wrong. And that we have a better idea. And the crux of this sin that we're in is pride. Pride. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Furthermore, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 11:2 says, "When pride comes, then comes disgrace." But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, "The Lord detests all the proud of heart." And be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride is at the heart of all of the sin in the world in which we live. And I can't help but find it ironic that many in in certain movements in our culture, that's their slogan. When God created human beings, he created us in a specific fashion, in a specific order. There was a creative order about this. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27, we see that God lays out before all of the universe. And God says, let us, this is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having this conversation, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of, of the heavens, and over the livestock of all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is a side note, this is not my notes, but Peter. Listen, God gave us dominion over animals. There's nothing wrong with eating a cow or having some chicken for dinner. This, we have dominion. They don't have dominion over us. We have dominion over them. That's not on my notes. That's a side note. You got that one for free this morning. Uh, let's keep going. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and Female, he created them. Like, that we even have to have this conversation in 2022 is a revelation that we are neck deep in sin. There are only two genders. God created them there's man, and there's woman. And this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. God created man in his own image. This is echoed again by Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, he says, But from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. Pretty, pretty clear, amen? Like there's, there's no, I wonder what God was thinking. Is he, but did he, no, he, he, he created us male and female. There's nothing else out there. Now, I heard a guy say, listen, in 150 years when they dig up your bones... The scientists are going to look at you and they're going to say, okay, do the scientific dialysis and figure it out and say they're either going to be a man or a woman. That's it. The reason I say this is this weekend, an event took place where those who were present celebrated filth. Loudly proclaimed it. Loudly paraded it through the public square. And they said what they were doing was right, good, natural, and normal. And what even more concerning was those little kids that were up here singing about God doing what God did and talking about having self-control. Remember, we just saw our children up here talking about this, talking about the fruit of the Spirit and what those are. This group of people had their children on the stage dressed in paraphernalia that was just horrific and had their children chanting about pride and how pride is the future pride is the way pride is everything we just saw from the text that God detests the proud and that those that are proud will be punished I'm telling you guys. And to top it off, they had a worship service where they worshipped at the altar of this false god. They worshipped a false god of immorality and sodomy. And here's where I'm concerned. I'm concerned for our country's collective moral fabric. When a country collectively stands and says that we're going to do the opposite of what God says when God stated in his word from the beginning he created them male and female and then we as a culture collectively embrace and applaud things like this from women's health the language we are that we have around gender identity is rapidly expanding to accommodate for the wide variety of gender identities and expressions that are out there what? Where does that come from? I firmly believe that we are on the edge of being collectively destroyed by the God of the universe. And we we say as parents, and this is the thing that just boggled my mind, is I saw these parents that were there with these small children. When we have parents who say things like, well, my son or daughter has gay tendencies or trans tendencies and they fan the flame of that in their small little imago day. those little babies that hold the image of God. When you as a parent fan that in your little boy or your little girl, you, sir, you, ma'am, are in danger of the wrath of God. Period. Oh, that we, that we fan the flame of this wickedness, this hellishness behavior, we're in danger of God destroying us. And listen, I don't say that with glee. There's no part of me that says, that's humming, good for you. <laughs> I don't say that with glee or happiness. Rather, I say this with concern, a tone of gravity, and a tone of, listen, we've got to change our ways. We've got to change the direction that we're in. What our nation is doing, in, in essence, is saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You, we know better. You say, well, Caleb, wait a second, Pastor. Wait a second. You have no right to impose your morals on me as a person sitting here listening to you this morning. You don't have the right to impose your morals on me. I will quickly, I will quickly say to you, I'm not trying to. I want you to understand that I am not imposing my morals. I am not imposing my morals on anyone. The moral standard of which I am talking about is very clearly defined in the Word of God. I did not write these things down, I did not come up with this moral standard, I did not do this. The sovereign King of the universe, Jesus Christ, is the one who came up with these moral standards. The sovereign creator did. So when you make foolish statements like, don't impose your morals on me, it just exposes your ignorance of God's word and who God really is. And you probably need to be saved. Our culture is on dangerous ground. And if we're not careful, I am concerned that we are about to pass the point of no return. If you remember in the movie Back to the Future, the third one, they're on the they're on the way to try to get the DeLorean back up to 88 miles an hour and they're pushing it with a locomotive and at the end of this it's going to go over a ravine and there was a sign that said past the point of no return. Once we we have to commit here, we got to go all the way. We are about to go over the edge collectively as a country. We're on dangerous ground. You say, "Well, I, and listen, I'm saying we're, we're about to. People like John MacArthur and Steve Lawson are saying, we've passed the point of no return. We're about to experience the full, unmitigated wrath of God on our country. So Caleb, how do you find that out? How do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11-12 through 12 says this. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived... And they will believe lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. So the people who are part of this community, and when I say this community, I'm going to be bold enough to say the trans and the LGBT community stand in the street and scream at the top of their lungs, and I watched this as they did this yesterday, scream at the top of their lungs that what they're doing is amazingly right and good. I I am concerned. And what's even more concerning is that there are religious leaders who will affirm what this community is doing. A female pastor, let's just sink in for a second. Number one, we've got a female pastor. That's number one problem I've got. But we've got a female pastor in the town in which I live, gets on social media and then writes this thing in our paper saying, and and wrote, the Bible does not condemn anyone for being lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, or drag queen. This is where I started in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But they have itching ears; will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. Passions—the idea of the word "their passions" is unbridled lust, unbridled, uncontrolled lust. You'll get people that will okay your specific sin, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths or lies this is why I'm concerned we have a growing number of leaders who stand in the public square and say things like this when the Bible's very clear that God will condemn those who are partaking in this particular sin I engaged with an OU professor yesterday had a conversation I went to this event and I had a conversation with with a man who said he was the OU professor for social justice and advocacy listen parent If you send your child to these public universities, you're damning your children. You're sending them to a godless, pagan religious system and they're taking your money. You're fooling yourself when you've got professors who are openly gay who teach their children that they need to thumb their nose at this and they need to run from this. You are damning your, your children. Oh, help us. He Engage with this, with this man, and he looked at me and said, Isn't it amazing that Bartlesville finally has come up with the times and we're doing something like this? Isn't it awesome? I said, Well, I, as a biblical Christian, see this in a different light, sir. He said, Wait, 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 wait. Are you an affirming Christian? I said, I don't affirm sin. He said, then I don't want to talk to you any further. This is what we have. This is where we are. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32 gives a very, and I I put this in the New Living Translation so we can have, it gives a little bit more bite to it. I want you to see this. Starting in verse 24. This is called the wrath of God's abandonment on a nation. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired to do. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is to be eternally praised. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. That, that's very clear. As to what that means. Keep going in verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, which the majority of people that I had conversations with yesterday were some type of atheistic person who recently refound their faith through this woman that we just talked about saying that there's no, well, of course, you're going to follow this kind of faith because it leads you, there's no sacrifice, there's no repentance, there's no, nothing of that nature. So rather that they saw it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never do. Their lives became full of every kind of wicked sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, maliciousness, behavior, uh, malicious behavior, and gossip. They were backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobeyed their parents. Once again, I just find that interesting that that's in all this mix. Oh, by the way, they disobeyed their parents. That is a key. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. They refuse, verse 31, they refuse to understand, they break promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. Trust me, I watched as I had conversations with men yesterday, and there was such... There was no mercy. There was no tolerance. There was no love, which I find it interesting. That's what they preach is tolerance and love. They had none. They were not willing to hear this is the direction you're going is wrong. They want to boast in their sin and they have no mercy towards you. Verse 32. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyways, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So, this is very clear language. So to have a church leader who is standing in the public square and proclaiming these lies, that God will not condemn anyone that's bi, gay, trans, queer, whatever whatever, whatever alphabet letter you need to use, that you're proclaiming these things, you are a heretic and you need to repent. So this is why I'm concerned. that We are on the edge of no return. Leaders in our land believing lies. Second Thessalonians. And where does that come from? Because leaders refuse to acknowledge the truth. The God of the universe causes them to believe a lie. And if you're sitting in this congregation this morning and you're saying, well, I think that what those people do is okay. The God of the universe is causing you to believe a lie and you need to repent. Period. So what are Christians to do? God, you ask. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 gives us our directive. Take no part in the unfaithful works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in the in secret but when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible for the light makes everything visible this is why it is said awake o sleeper arise from the dead and Christ will give you light church we are a sleeping giant who needs to be Waking up to realize that we've been given authority over this hellishness. Yet we slumber. Wake up! Wake up from your slumber. Rise from the dead. The dead of night. And Christ will give you the light that you need to shine on those that need to have light. Expose sin so that it might be repented of and Christ would be the light that those people desperately need. How do you do this? You... you, you just simply tell them what Jesus said. The time is promised by God at last. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Proclaim to the people that they need to repent of their sins and turn away from their sins and believe and trust the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what I did yesterday. Will they all accept? No. Did they accept Paul and Acts? No. But some did. But some did. This means that we have to have conversations. And I know that we don't like to have conversations. It's awkward and it's not very fun sometimes. Listen, I would have much rather stayed at my house yesterday and ignored what was going on, but I value the souls of every man, woman, boy, and girl that was at that festival. And if you're quiet and you're like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and let the, the people I know just continue down this path. You don't really love them. You don't really love them. Period. I saw this. It was an illustration. Because I, I, listen, I don't say this because I hate anyone. I don't hate anyone. I don't, I'm not mad at anyone. My heart is broken and I have a sense of... Of grieving over this. And you, as a believer, should too, because these people are headed to an eternal hell. This is why I think most Christians are functioning agnostics. Because we don't really believe at the end of this that someone's gonna be punished by an eternal flame. If we truly believe that someone was going to sit and thrive and, and, and rile around in an eternal flame, we would not be quiet. I think most of us are functioning agnostics. I don't say this because I hate anyone but rather much to the other side. I love human beings. I am saying this as, as, as lovingly as I can to show them that they are in danger of being destroyed. Here's the example. Let's say I'm over here and on highway on the main highway out here. and there's, a, and there's lots of semis. There's a lot of semis on that highway. Amen? You guys see a lot of those semis? Let's say you're standing in the middle of that highway and I see down the end of there, you're not paying attention. You're, looking at the, you're just looking at the things going on around you. You're not paying attention. But I look down the road and I see a Mack truck hurtling towards you. And I stand on the side of the road and I say, Stop! Hey! Hey! There, there's a Mack truck. You're going to die! And you look at me crossing your arms and say, you absolutely foolish, stupid, bigoted, hateful idiot. Don't tell me that I can't be out here in the middle of the road. I can do what I want. I can do what I want. You're being a bigot. You're being hateful. You're being stupid. No, no, I'm not. I'm trying to warn you. There's a Mack truck. He's going at least 70 miles an hour. And when he meets you in the middle of the road, there is definitely going to be an impact. You can't tell me. Don't try to impose your morals on me. I can be out in the street if I want to be in the street. Well, you can. But I'm just trying to tell you. Listen, I don't hate you. Is that, is that, was that... Is that hateful to tell someone, listen, you're about to get run over? Yes or no? Is it hateful? No! I'm trying to warn you! What would it be? What would you say if if I said, listen, Alan, I love you. But Alan's standing in the street, and I was like, I might be quiet. I don't want Alan to. Alan might think that I'm being rude to him. Alan might think that I'm being hateful. So, you know what? Alan, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And there's going to come a day when you have loved ones who are going to stand before the white judgment throne of God. And listen, the scripture says very clearly if you don't tell your loved ones about the impending doom, their blood will be poured over your hands by the God of the universe. Like, let that sink in. The God of the universe, if you had the ability to tell your loved ones that they were in sin and they need to repent, like, let's just scrap... This is what we're talking about. Let's just talk about the sin of lying. Let's talk about the sin of of lust. Let's talk about the sin of whatever else you want to talk about. And you refuse to tell your loved ones that they need to repent. There will come a day when God himself will pour their blood over your hands and say their blood is on your hands because you refused to tell them that they need to repent of their sins I don't stand in the public square and tell men and women that they need to repent because I hate them. Quite to the contrary, I'm doing this because I actually care about them. I'm not angry at you. I'm not mad at you. My tone is very grievous. It is very solemn. It is very pointed because I believe we're on the precipice of seeing an absolute destruction of our country. So, if I golly, I'm, I'm foolish if I don't say anything. I love people enough to try to tell them that the, the direction that they're heading is going to end up destroying them. And if you refuse to tell people that their impending doom is coming, you actually don't love them. You might, you could deceive yourself all day long that you love them. But what you really do is you love your own comfort. You don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. You'd rather let them pursue what they're pursuing because, well, I just don't want to have that conversation. I've had uncomfortable conversations with loved ones about not just this type of sin, but all. And guess what? There have been loved ones who have had uncomfortable conversations with me about my sin and that I need to repent. Thank God they did. Thank God they did. Please don't think that what I'm doing here is trying to impose my morals on you because I'm not. I'm trying to tell you that we have the morals that have been given down from the pages of Scripture. And this is what we're supposed to be following. And if you're not following this, you, sir, you, madam, are in sin and you need to repent. I'm trying to help people understand that God has already laid out the lifestyle that we should be living and we need to surrender to what he's called us to do and that is to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus. Turn from our wickedness and turn to Christ. This is why Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, the first half of 2 Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, and, the God of, and of Christ, Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all complete patience and teaching. So this is what we're called to do. There, there is a time and a season to reprove and rebuke. Reproving and rebuking is not fun. How many of us in the room like to admit when we're wrong? Nobody, how many, how many of you like it when you're right? Got a whole lot more hands on that one. There's, there comes a time when there needs to be reproving and rebuking. And there also is a time when we exhort. Exhorting, that's the fun side of pastoring. Exhorting is to tell you about the good stuff. But there's also a time when I have to tell you about the bad stuff. That's what pastors are called to do. Preach the word. I'm in the presence of God and Jesus. Listen, this is what I've got to do. And if I, Listen, I don't want to have these kind of conversations with my congregation. You, sir, need to step down from the pulpit. If I ever refuse to preach the word, you better tell me to leave. Turn from your sins and trust Christ today. That's the call. Turn from your sins and trust Christ today.